This podcast is for information purposes only and is not and should not be construed as professional advice or an offer or commitment by any Rubberbank Group member to enter into a transaction. The views expressed by the presenter and or guests are their own and do not necessarily represent the views of Rubberbank. Please see the podcast description for our full disclaimer. Welcome to RoboTalk's Growing Our Future, where we talk to experts from both here in New Zealand and across the world to bring New Zealand farmers and growers the information they need to make informed strategic decisions about the future direction of their business to ensure they continue to thrive in a fast-changing world. The range of on-farm data that farmers are required to collect and report on has increased significantly over recent years, particularly in respect of sustainability-related information. Much of this data relates to aspects of farming operations that traditionally haven't really been associated with helping to drive improved performance, which poses the question, can this data be used in a way that provides genuine value for farming businesses, or is it simply an extra cost burden that must be absorbed? I'm today's host, Blake Holgate, and to explore that question further, I'm joined by Rubberbank's very own sustainability manager, Gavin Marshall whose role at Rubberbank is to essentially answer that question, how can data be turned into valuable insights that provide value to farming businesses? Gavin, welcome to Growing Our Future. Before we crack into it, we always like to get to know our guests a little bit better. So are you able to tell us, you know, a little bit about your career, how you got to the role you're in with Rubberbank now, and a little bit about what your actual role with the bank is? Well, I started my career a few years ago now, uh, growing up in Tiamudu, which is a rural community, I was first interested in farming there. So wanted to give sort of everything a try, if you like. So I did a season dairy farming, season sheep and beef farming, worked for a forestry gang, worked in a shearing gang. Um, so trying everything, I thought dairy farming was the career for me from there. I sort of went lower order share milking from there. I was introduced to this rural professional and it was a bit of a light bulb moment. I, I thought that's kind of what I wanted to do. I could see a real pathway there for myself, wanting to be able to support farmers to be more productive on farm and uh, and not necessarily be the farmer myself. So from there, I went to Massey University and did a degree in uh, natural resource management and came up with for a company called Summit Quinfos. Summit Quinfos were the third largest fertilizer company at the time. And I really enjoyed the technical side of that. So again, supporting farmers to be able to use their inputs to grow more, be more profitable. And so I was lucky enough for that job to take me overseas. After which I had a small hiatus from the ag industry before returning to work for Fonterra as a sustainable dairying advisor. In that role, you're essentially out there supporting farmers, delivering farm environment plans and uh, supporting farmers, I guess, more uh, one at a time. And I was very keen on looking at how we, how I could move into a role that allowed me to, to support farmers more generally. And so from there, I went to a role as a environmental program lead and primarily looking after Fonterra's nitrogen program. So in the early days, that was completing around 10,000 nutrient budgets and more latterly in the creation of the nitrogen risk scorecard. And last year was was lucky enough to join the Rabo team as sustainability manager. And so the, the role, I guess, at, at Rabo is not too dissimilar in a sense that how do we take this on-farm information, in this case, non-financial information, 
and use that in a way that helps to support the bank's policies and, and making sure that, you know, that we're adhering to what we need to there, but also being able to turn that into something useful back for the farmers. So farmers are, are constantly giving us information to support their positions, but how do we turn that into insights and, and how do we train our teams in such a way that they can go out on farm and, and really help farmers make, make change? Which is the key question, right? I'm sure we don't have to explain to any of our listeners around the increased work associated with collecting and supplying this information. And and I think the key really is how does that translate into insights that can provide value. But if we, so if we take a step back, Gav, you know, what type of sustainability data shall we say, or or non-financial data, or however you want to phrase it, do farmers now have available to them that perhaps they didn't have five to 10 years ago? Yeah, I think, you know, in some ways, the information is the same that farmers have available, at least that we require of them. And that is, you know, the basic information in around the describing the farm consistently or, you know, in the farming system, the inputs, the animals, what's used in producing the, the outputs. Those things are, have always been available to farmers, obviously. But what we're seeing now is more and more of an increase in the types of information that farmers are required to supply. And so, you know, it's going beyond just those inputs to wanting to know things more around employment and engagement, looking at, you know, greenhouse gases, animal welfare, energy efficiency, all of these things that are probably going a little further than they were five years ago and bringing that into a reporting suite that um, is probably a little further along, certainly than it was before. Certainly, there's advances in technology and and the type of data available to farmers, and and there's probably people much more qualified than I to talk about that, you know. But we think back to five years ago when we were delivering a farm environment plan, but would have had a map, for example, and and now I think nearly you know anyone with a farm environment plan, plan rather probably has that geospatially mapped. They might have um, you know remote sensing information available to them or some heat map modeling from satellite imagery, et cetera. So there's a lot more technology providing farmers with information than was there a few years ago. But there's also, you know, sort of the similarities in that the same stuff is required, but it's, you know, customers and consumers are just and, and regulators are requiring more and more of it. What's driving this increase in those data points? Is it simply a compliance regulatory kind of need for it or, or is it simply we've got better technology that actually enables us to access some of those in a, in a more accessible and affordable way? Well, I guess there's a few and touched on there. There's, there's an increase in regulation. There's new standards and, and a need for farmers to be able to report against those standards and, and more and more account for the externalities of their production. As I say, we touch their customers and consumer preferences. So, you know, this could range from customers or, or consumers rather being interested in the nutrient value of the food that they're buying or wanting to understand the environmental footprint, uh, the animal welfare practices used or the working conditions of staff on farm. Whatever's driving them, it's leading to a, a desire, I guess, to understand that provenance story behind the food that they're buying. So, you know, more and more data is required in order to substantiate that story. Farmers themselves, I guess, are always wanting to be able to you know, innovate and, and to increase their productivity. And so there's you know, been some really big advancements in the types of uh, remote sensing and information that's available to farmers to be, I guess, operating more in that sort of precision ag area. 
So let's just talk through a little bit around where do farmers currently access that information or data? How is it coming to them? How, how can they source it? And you've already mentioned, for example, your work with Fonterra and in, in the, the Farm Insights report here that essentially provides farmers in, in a very nice, clean format. You know, what other aspects or avenues are out there? So most of the data originates on farm. And so whether it be a, a processor assurance scheme or, or the like, it's originated by the farmer putting it in there in the first instance. And so that's not new information when they receive those reports, insights reports and the like back to them. But the key to that is that often their information is then able to be benchmarked against relevant peer groups. So that's, the, I guess, the added value in that. It's farmers' own original information about their animals and their fertiliser use, imported feed, all of that type of stuff that they have access to. But being able to package that up in such a way to be able to provide that benchmarking gives greater insight that some farmers might not be able to achieve on their own. As I say, you know, there's also increases in, in that uh, you know, geospatial maps and layers, including you know, that remote sensing, et cetera. So some of the, the advancements or developments we've seen is, is not so much around the collection of new information per se. There may be some new information, but but some of it's actually maybe just repackaging information that farmers are already providing to different organisations in a way that actually becomes a bit more tangible and insightful. Yeah, that, that's right. And I guess one of the challenges that we have is that there is so much information available and how can we bring it together in such a way that it makes it available to farmers to be able to consume it and, and actually turn this into efficiency gains on farm or, or to use it to tell their story. With the real increase in, in regulation of, of more recently, farmers sometimes have a lot more granular information at their disposal through some of the software that we've discussed, but it's not able to be used necessarily to meet that regulatory oversight. If we think about Things like you know greenhouse gas calculators, for example, we know that the government is potentially moving to use what they term a simple calculator, and there's very limited number of data inputs that go into that simple calculator. So often it could be that farmers have you know a lot more granular information at, at their disposal than is required at a regulatory level, but that, that doesn't mean that they can't use that for efficiency gains. You mentioned earlier around, we made reference to accuracy, accuracy of data. And I suppose there is a question in there around how much reliance can be placed on some of this data and information that is being played back to farmers. Um, you know, some of the common ones we hear is that, you know, there's multiple greenhouse gas calculators, which all provide slightly different numbers. Overseer has, you know, had certain challenges around the accuracy, particularly in the context in which it was being used. So is there a risk that over-reliance is placed on some of this information and data or is it simply how you use that information and data? I think it's how we use the information. With regard to the greenhouse gas calculators, there's several of those available to farmers and there are questions that are often asked about which one should we be using and which one might give the lowest result, etc. But I think ultimately, at this point in time, anyway, there's uh, the opportunity to look at which one suits the data that you have available and the data inputs that you as a farmer have available to enter into the model, which one that you have a, a, you know, an understanding of how it operates. 
and to then stick with that one and use it consistently over time so that you both get a consistent result and be able to show which way you're, you're traveling, so to speak, but also that you might then better understand what are the levers that have led to that change. As we know, that there's likely to be a more essential government calculator come out in time that we'll need to, as an industry, adjust to. But in the interim, I think, you know, sticking with one of the calculators that, that you understand more generally is the best approach. Yes, I suppose the purpose behind why you're using the data and how you use it is really important, right? Because if it's being used in a, in a regulatory sense, that requires you know, levels of confidence around accuracy, for example. But if it is something around greenhouse gas emissions or maybe nitrogen leaching, a tool that provides you sort of a, a general indication of directional travel or potentially enables you to do some scenario testing work and, and see what the impact of, of different practices or technology looks like is quite a different situation and, and potentially gets into where we that area will talk about how we can start to get some real value and insights from the data and tools that increasingly are available. I think you, you touch on the over-reliance on some of these data points. And I, I think it's not so much the data that goes into the models sometimes, but it may be that the output itself. And one of those challenges we faced when I was at Frontier was in and around using a, a single numeric figure and a calculated uh, nitrogen leaching figure to both inform farmers about their, their nitrogen risk, but also to try and educate what's happening in their farming system and where could they potentially make change. And, um, you know, th through some uh, farm workshops and obviously with a large number of farmers that we work with over time, we found that that single data point just wasn't as widely understood as we first thought. And that led to a change to another approach, which was a nitrogen risk scorecard. So not necessarily looking to become more accurate in, or more uh, granular in, in calculating an actual loss figure, but taking it up a level and trying to just report back to farmers what is the risk around on-farm practices and giving a degree of, uh, I guess, from you know, thinking very low to very high in terms of a risk rating, risk rating each of those practices and so a farmer then might be able to drill into that report and say, okay, I can see where the hotspots are in terms of my farming practice or my farming system and then go and, and, and interrogate that further. Yeah, so in that case, essentially talking about stripping away many of the variables that are essentially outside maybe the farmer's direct control and, and stripping it back to a lot more of the, the variables that they can control and look at how you focus that, which will ultimately support or enable the reduction of emissions once those other variables come into the consideration. Exactly. And it's not to say that, that a more complex data model couldn't achieve similar things, um, but I think the, the key to collecting data and insights is making it accessible to farmers and making it easily understood. You know, if farmers and, and those using the metric can understand what's gone into it, then you can really start to unpick it and start to look at, well, what would I need to do to make change here? Now, in your intro, given you mentioned that you were previously at Fonterra and were heavily involved in the development of their Farm Insights report, can you talk us through some of the 
key metrics that are in that report, and, and I suppose why those were the metrics that were chosen to essentially replay back to Fonterra suppliers? Sure. So the nitrogen risk scorecard, as I say, um, it came about through the nitrogen program where we were essentially producing every farmer, so some 9,000 farmers with, with this nitrogen report each year. And we needed to be able to use the data efficiently and get these reports back out to, in farmers' hands in a timely manner and in a way that, that they could easily understand without the need for a nutrient management expert to be sitting you know, side by side with them, talking them through it. At the same time, or more recently, sorry, the, the dairy industry has also adopted the purchase nitrogen surplus as a metric to understand nitrogen loss risk on farm. And so... That was one of the first metrics that we had in the report. And so purchase nitrogen surplus is, as the, I guess the title says, uh, it's the amount of nitrogen that is purchased onto farm. So that, that comes in via nitrogen fertilizer, the amount of nitrogen that's imported via purchased feed minus that nitrogen that's exported in productive outputs, you know, such as milk and meat and et cetera. So, and you're left with a surplus, which is the title suggests purchase nitrogen surplus. So rather than defining an actual quantity of nitrogen that has been lost, it's saying this is the amount of nitrogen that is available to be lost through those lost pathways, either to atmosphere or to water. And so the higher the number, obviously, the higher the risk of surplus nitrogen being lost. So it's a great, I guess, metric for helping farmers to understand what's within their control and how they can influence that. At the same time, the scorecard itself is a series of drivers under some key drivers that, that lead to nitrogen loss risk on farm, which is you know, stock on farm, nitrogen fertiliser, the imported feed, crop and cultivation, effluent management and irrigation. So those are all some real key drivers around nitrogen loss on farm. So each of those are individually risk rated in the scorecard from very low to very high. So farmers can at a glance see how their stock management policy, you know, via the stocking rate or the amount of dry matter eaten, whether they're wintering animals off, etc., and what influence that is having on their overall risk rating. Same again for nitrogen fertilizer. They can see how much nitrogen fertilizer is, is imported on farm what they're doing in terms of their productive outputs around that, the timing of that fertiliser, all of those individual components are, are risk-rated. And what that gives farmers, I guess, and, and farm planners is an ability to sort of go over that report and look at some of those risk factors and discuss those things in terms of a farm environment plan and what actions they might look to put into an, a farm environment plan to mitigate those. Unlike things like phosphorus and sediment and, and, and E. coli where you might see those losses you know, originating from a point source or, or from a critical source area, nitrogen is a little bit harder to walk the farm and, and see those risks. Another key metric that was introduced was in the farm systems optimization. So it's looking at how much essentially nitrogen is used to grow every tonne of dry matter on farm. And so with a, a number of farms that Fonterra has in their system, they're able to actually use a pasture prediction model and uh, you know, look at how much each farm is growing and how much nitrogen is used to grow there. It allows for benchmarking to be able to show that some farmers have the ability to maybe reduce their nitrogen use and grow the same amount as 
when they are compared to a relevant peer group. Being able to reduce your fertilizer use, as we know, is going to have some, some benefits there in terms of reducing your purchase surplus, reducing your greenhouse gas emissions, and ultimately saving farmers money. And lastly, the, the greenhouse gas numbers in that report, ultimately farmers, as we know, are going to face a price on their on-farm emissions. And so having those numbers and in, in greenhouse gas numbers you know, in the report, both at a per hectare metric as well as per kilo of, of productive output, give farmers some real insight as to how they're travelling in, in comparison to other farms also. So the data and, and how you use and respond to it becomes not so much around, well, I'm just enables me to understand where I fit from the compliance lens, whether that's a, a local nitrogen leaching limit or, or in relation to greenhouse gas. It's actually a tool you can use to inform efficiencies decisions, cost-saving decisions, essentially how you can operate your business to become more efficient. Exactly. Uh, so it's going beyond their compliance piece and looking to actually put that, will create conversations, will create data points that, that lead to conversations that drive efficiency. So just because you're compliant, there's still some real benefit in being able to you know, shift the dial there in terms of that efficiency piece. And in that case, whilst looking at, at nitrogen, often that compliance line is maybe a little bit uh, lower down the profile and these farmers here might be at the, at the pointy end a bit and, and really looking to see what they can do to make that next improvement. Now, obviously, greenhouse gas emissions is, is a topic that is incredibly relevant at the moment and, and in an area that probably many of our listeners have concerns about or, or, or at least keen to understand better what information they have, which will help inform them understand potentially what impact they will face in 2025 when there's an emissions price and, and, and probably more importantly, what is information telling them in respect of what they can start to do? to help reduce the potential liability of that price looks like. So is there anything in either the, the Fonterra Insights report or more generally in the farm calculators or, or other reports floating around there that farmers need to look at in particular? Are there certain numbers in there that they should be looking at, particular inputs or, or considerations that you think they should really focus on as, as a first step to understanding how to potentially reduce that liability and, I suppose, move towards becoming more emissions-efficient producers? I guess we go back to the point of know your numbers. That's a really key first protocol in this instance. And, and I think most reports, and certainly, I, as I say, I know from previous experience with the Fonterra report, that they report the emissions there from two counts or two sides. There's the biological emissions. So those are the emissions that farmers are generating on farm in particular around, you know, enteric methane from the animals. And then there's those emissions that they are importing. So there's non-biological emissions that are imported onto the farm as a result of nitrogen fertilizer use and uh, the imported supplements and to a lesser extent, some of the emissions are around non-nitrogen fertilizers and electricity and, and fuel on, on farm. So I guess understanding where the emissions are originating from on your farms at first step. Farmers probably have more opportunity to reduce those non-biological emissions in the first instance. So looking at being really efficient in and around the fertilizer use and the types of and looking at the types of imported supplements they have on farm. Those are sort of first drives that farms can look at with regard to that. 
it becomes a little more challenging, I guess, when we're thinking about the methane side of things. And so there's a lot of great science and research being done here, as we know, to look at genetics for low methane animals, methane inhibitors, um, boluses, and a whole host of, of really great work being done there. At this point in time, not, not all of those, in fact, some, you know, few of those are, are readily available for farmers. So I think in the first instance, and in the experience that we've had is to, to look at numbers, understand where they're coming from, be as efficient as you can before, hopefully in the, in the not too distant future, some of those mitigations become available. What are your key messages or tips for farmers that are looking to use the data that's available to them now in a way that will ultimately help improve their performance? I guess ultimately we'd encourage people to use the best available information they have to enter into these reports or models. That's going to lead to the you know, best possible reported outcome that you can get. The other is I you know, really encourage people to participate in their assurance schemes or, or the process of programs and leverage their rural professionals. You know, There's a wealth of information there. Those people are there to support you and to ensure that you get the support and best information possible. So, you know, interrogate the numbers, know what they are there for and, uh, and the drivers are behind them. And uh, hopefully that, that can lead to some efficiencies or, or some, some change that, um, you know, can lower the, the footprint of your farming system. Yeah, look, I think good points. I suppose my take is, in lots of ways, I think we're probably still at the early stages of, of really being able to have the right tools to support farmers turn that that data into real tangible insights. But as you've alluded to, you know, there are avenues out there now. So it's understanding what you do have available to you. And really that whole concept, you know, the data insights don't have to be 100% right all the time. In lots of ways, in lots of times, are just indicating a, a direction of travel or things that you may need to explore further or, or opportunities for improvement that, again, supplement your instincts, how you're already doing things, other bits of information that you're you're gauging stuff against now. But I think over time, increasingly, these the data that you are required to provide will be increasingly turned back in ways that will give greater granularity and greater insights that will ultimately enable us to produce more in a way that has a more limited way and limited impact on the natural resources in which we're using to produce them. So, look, given great to have this chat today and, and I think it's really going to be an ongoing dialogue and discussion that the industry um, has going forward. Great. Yeah, no, thanks very much, Blake. And, uh, yeah, pleasure to have a chat. Thank you for listening to Talks Growing Our Future podcast. If you're interested in learning more about how Rubberbank can support you to succeed into the future, please go to rubberbank.co.nz.